You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the fabulous Feinstein's 54 Below. Before we get started this evening, just a polite reminder, please take this moment to silence your cell phones. Also, there is no flash photography, please. Jaime Lozano is a prolific composer whose works have been produced at venues across New York City and the world. His recent productions include The Yellow Brick Road, for which he wrote music and lyrics with Tommy Newman, book by Mando Alvarado, which premiered Off-Broadway in 2011 and was followed by a successful national tour, and also Children of Salt, a new Latin musical, book and lyrics by Lauren Epsonhart, which made its New York City debut in 2016 as part of the New York Music Festival and won the Best of Fest Production Award. Recently, Jaime's song cycle, A Never-Ending Line, a collaboration with nine female lyricists had its world premiere in Paris, France, as part of the concert series Broadway au Carré at the Comédie Nation Théâtre. It had its Spanish-language world premiere in Mexico, followed by an off-Broadway run at the Players Theatre here in New York City. His other works include Con Amor, Isa Colibri, Estocolmo, Savage, Present Perfect, a musical in broken English, among many other works. In 2015, Jaime and his wife, Mexican actress and singer Florencia Cuenca, created a jazz project called The New Standards, an album of contemporary musical theater songs accompanied by jazz arrangements. Written by Jaime and Jesus Altamira, it has been performed at prominent venues in New York City, Mexico, and across Latin America. In addition to being a composer, Jaime is also an accomplished director. He has staged Into the Woods, Jesus Christ Superstar, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, and The Fantastics in Mexico. In August 2003, he directed the Mexican premiere of Jekyll and Hyde and adapted, produced, and directed the Spanish world premiere of Jason Robert Brown's The Last Five Years and Songs for a New World. Jaime Lozano, welcome to the Fine Science 54 Below podcast. Hola, Nela. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. I use the word prolific in your intro because when I was reading your bio, there was no way that I could mention all of your projects in a short intro. It was a lot. So I left out a lot because otherwise we would be here all day. But I want to talk to you about where you get your ideas and what your work process is like and how you're able to do so much. I'm from Mexico, and back in Mexico, to be honest, there's not a lot of musical theater. So I realized that there were a lot of my stories, like 
stories related with my country, with my people that they haven't been told. So what I started doing since I guess like 20 years ago or something like that was like focusing on all those stories that haven't been told, like stories about people like myself, stories about immigrants, stories about Mexico, stories about all these things close to my heart because I strongly believe the first key to write a story, the most important thing is being honest. And the only way to be honest is writing something from the heart and something that is close to you. So I just try to find those stories that are close to me. That makes a lot of sense. You're from Mexico. Tell us how a boy from Monterrey becomes interested in musical theater, which is a very American art form. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's funny. When I was a kid, I remember that I used to watch TV and every, like, around April, they used to broadcast in the Mexican TV channel the old Jesus Christ movie, the one from the 70s. And I remember that actually I hated that movie. (laughs) I didn't (laughs) like, I mean, it was just weird for me to see people singing and, like, you know, like... um, that very specific story about Jesus Christ. And it it was just weird for me. I mean, I was a kid, I guess I was around seven, eight years old. And um, time passed and I was supposed to study criminology. I actually did the test to get into criminology school. And for some weird reason that I still, today I don't know what it was. I just decided not to get into school and I have my like my sabbatic year. I waited for one year, and a year after that, without having any serious musical training, music training, I decided to roll into music school. I believe that everything has to come from the heart, and I believe that that decision that wasn't something that I actually planned until today. I don't know why I choose to do that. <laughs> Change my life forever. I rolled into music school when I started doing music school. Originally, I was studying music and singing. I wanted to be like an opera singer at that time. And I realized that all my classmates, they were way ahead of me because usually when you study music, all this, you started when you are like three, four, five years old. They have been playing piano since they were five years old or four. So I was like really behind all of them. So I told myself that I need to make up for all the time that I didn't study before. So I started studying as much as I can, like 24-7. And when I was doing my first semester at school in singing, they post audition for a musical in my college. Can you guess which musical was it? Jesus Christ Superstar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ Superstar. So I auditioned like I auditioned for Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> I got into the ensemble, into the chorus. And that's why my first that was in nineteen ninety-eight. Wow, like twenty something years ago. And that was my first approach to musical theater. And now I understand. You changed your mind about the show? (laughs) I did. I did. Actually, (laughs) after that, I have directed Jesus Christ back in Mexico. I directed that show two, three times back in Mexico. (laughs) Uh, And that was like my first, that was like my school, because in Mexico, we don't have musical theater training, not even as a performer. There's nothing about musical theater. So this director, the one who directed that show, Jesus Christ Superstar, at my college, 
he had been studying here in the States. He went to Berkeley and other schools, and I became like his assistant. And he has in his office all these musical theater books. At that time, I didn't know how to read English or speak English. So that's the way that I learned to read first, to read English, like using all those musical theater books. And that was the way that I get interested in musical theater. That I just realized that it's one of the most powerful ways to tell stories. I guess telling stories is something natural as human beings. As human beings, we're always telling stories every single day, like mm -hmm. to our sons, to our daughter, to our boyfriend, girlfriend. I mean, we're always telling stories about what happened with us and making up stories. And we are good creating the stories. That's something that is part of our human nature. And doing it through a musical, putting together lyrics, music, and all that, all these arts on stage, like set design, costume design, all that. I strongly believe that is one of the most powerful and beautiful ways to tell stories. And I just fell in love with that. Yeah, it's interesting because I think in Latin America, we don't have such a tradition of musical theater. And I love that that's changing. But I just saw the Revolution Rent documentary about the production that they did in Cuba. And at the beginning of the documentary, Andy Senor, who is the director, is trying to teach the cast how you sing and how you act for theater and what musical theater is. And it was really interesting to watch that because what you just said, the same thing. They have no experience with how to do a lyric for the stage, even though they learn the song, but it's a different art to sort of theatricalize it. And so, yeah, I think that's very true. And it's really interesting to me, but I think that's changing. I think that the musical theater is becoming more popular in, in the Spanish language countries. And hopefully it'll continue to grow. There's a phenomenon in Mexico that, to be honest, in Mexico, we are in heaven, <laughs> like comparing with other Latin American countries, because we have at least two or three big musicals production, two or three every mm -hmm. year. I mean, it's nothing. But usually the musicals that they do in Mexico, it's like Francois Theater. They get the rights from the licensing company and they put the show exactly as is in New York City or London. So we have had big production as Wicked, Lion King, Phantom of the Opera, blah, 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 and many, many more. But in Mexico, we are lacking a lot of our own stories. It's good that we are learning and we are using all these big musicals to bring musical theater to the Mexican audience. But it's sad that that's the only offer that we have in Mexico. And we don't have any formal acting, singing uh, school, like a musical theater school. I mean, there are many academias, they call it in Mexico, not formal school. That They might have great teachers, that some of them, they actually studied in New York City or in London, but they're not schools with an actual musical theater program or with an actual degree in musical theater. And all the people has to go like out of the country to study that. And that was my case. I was studying originally singing, but then because this guy, the director, the, the one who directed Jesus Christ Superstar, he was actually a composer. So I decided to change my major and I actually start over. I quit singing school, I singing a major degree. And after I was already like halfway my degree, I have been already studying my 
two years and a half. And I start over and did another, again, those two years and a half and now I started in composition. And that's why I started like writing my first musicals. But what a very different kind of composition, what you studied in, in, in this music school, was more like classical, contemporary music. So I like to call my first musical like anti-musicals because I actually broke all the rules when I was yeah. writing those shows. But actually I did it on purpose because I, I already knew like what was the way to, I mean, because I have been read, reading all those books and I knew a little bit about writing musicals, but all those first shows that I wrote, I mean, usually are like a, all the opposite thing that, that you're usually are looking for in musical theater. <laughs> yeah. So Mexico is such a beautiful country. I was just there last month in Yucatan. The terrain is stunning. The people are so warm and welcoming. Do you think Americans have misconceptions about Mexico? And what do you wish that Americans knew about Mexico? Definitely when we always put labels in each other, not just American put labels in Mexican. I mean, we as Mexicans, we put labels in the other people. That's also part of our humanity. Unfortunately, we are afraid of the thing that we don't know. And the best way to deal with that is putting an, a label and just to believe something about that. So putting a label as to, oh, I already know that these people is brown and short mm -hmm. <laughs> because they're Mexican. And not all Mexicans are like that, or all Mexicans speak in this way, or all Mexicans are like that. No, I mean, they're all kind of colors, all kind of people. And I think that that's very important also to know because at the end, not all of us, we don't have the same stories. For example, I am an immigrant in this country. You can say by my English, when I got to New York City in 2007, at that time, I speak no English at all. And I started learning here. I have been an immigrant struggling with English, struggling with money, struggling with papers to be able to work. And that's my story. And there's other people that they have more privileged than I or less than I, you know, less than myself. And those are other stories. So I think what is important to know is that me as a Mexican, as a Mexican immigrant, as a Mexican immigrant composer, storyteller, even I'm trying to tell the stories of my people. It's a paradox. I'm trying to represent my people, but I don't represent all of them. Right. So yeah. I think that it's important to know that, that those are my stories and the ones that I feel close to my heart and the ones that I want to tell. But for example, my son, he is four years old now. He was born here in New York City. He's a Mexican-American, and he's going to have a different story, a different journey. Both are as important as the other one. It's not like one is more important than the other one. It's just different. Yeah, there's so many stories out there, and I think you're right. For all of us who are immigrants, yeah, we all have different stories. Even myself, I came here when I was seven or eight, but my brother was born here, and he definitely has a much different story. We're seven years apart. And I love what you said about that, because we forget we're still all immigrants, and we're still all hyphenated Americans. So we share that. But each of us has a different journey and a different story to tell. That's so great. It has been a while since performances have been able to take place in person. How do you feel about getting back on stage? I feel uh, a little bit scared, to be honest. So far, I have had a couple of concerts. I did a concert at Lincoln Center 
but it was an outdoors. I, actually, I had two concerts at Lincoln Center at the outdoors. I did another concert, like they was like pre-recorded and they streaming. I have had the chance to perform a little bit since three, four months ago that we slowly start to come back. But this is my Feinstein 54 Below debut. I have performed there before as a music director, as a pianist, but this is the first time that I am solely like that, the headliner with my name. So it's a different story, <laughs> a different journey, different feeling. I was there a few weeks ago for a Mauricio Martinez concert. Yes. He's a very close friend of mine. He's like my brother. And I was actually like crying during the concert, during the first two, three songs. Of course, because he's a great performer, but also because, yeah, but also because all the meaning, I mean, being there in that room with a Latin immigrant performer on stage singing in Spanish with all this audience from all around the country and in all different nationalities, being in the same room, being together. For some of that people, that was the first time that they were actually being in a concert after almost two years. That was my case as an audience. That was my first concert as an audience. Even I had a few concerts before as a performer. That was my first concert as an audience. And getting into the door, having to show my vaccine record, all this new routine and all this new ritual to get into a performance space. It just feel like we're trying to do our best. I mean, I'm really grateful that everyone is trying to do their best to have live music and live events back. And I think that we all need to do our part the same way that 54 Below is doing its part with all protocols. We as audience, we need to do the same, perform the same. It's like a mix of things that only having all those things, we're going to make things work in the right way. Because if one ingredient is missing, we don't want to go back to, <laughs> to what it was these past two years. And I'm very excited to be doing, like as I said before, my debut in this space and to bring all these people that I like to call my familia, like Mauricio Martinez is performing with us. My wife, Florencia Cuenca, who is also a singer-actress, she's also performing. Joel Perez, an amazing also Broadway performer, he's joining us. We're still putting the lineup together, but we're having an all-Latin lineup, all-Latin performers, all-Latin music band, and I'm very excited to share all these stories after two years not doing it live. Yeah, your show, I love the language for your show because it said Jaime Lozano and the Familia. So how did the Familia come together? Are these people that have been in your shows or that you've met through the community? Yeah, it's like my chosen family. You don't have the chance to choose your brother, your sister. I mean, because God or the universe or wherever you believe, they send you that. And sometimes your brother, I mean, we have different experiences. I have great experiences with my brother, so <laughs> I can speak bad about him. But not all people is as lucky as I am. But we don't have the chance to choose that. And this other family, my chosen familia, is all these Latin performers some of them, like Mauricio Martinez, I have been collaborating with him for our first collaboration was back in 2013, almost 10 years ago was our first collaboration. And since then, we have been keeping together and helping each other with our own projects. My other like, long-time collaborator is my wife. 
we have been collaborating like for seven years, something like that now. Marina Pires was an amazing musical theater performer and writer. For example, my story with Marina, she came to audition for one of my shows. And at the end, we didn't pick her. I mean, she wasn't part of the show, but I just fall in love with her voice and the way that she tells stories. And then I realized that she was also a writer. And I asked her, do you want to write a song with me? And we ended up writing two songs for this female song cycle called And the Brandon Line. And we went to Paris together. We were in Paris together, like uh, premiering the show. And I met her in an audition room. And she didn't make it to the show. You know, at the end, she wasn't like selected, but that was my first contact with her. And thanks to that, we are now collaborating and we have been writing songs together. Wow. You know? And it's a different story with each one. There's other people that I have never met and I just, I just reached to them by email or by phone. And do you, oh, wanna, do you want a song? Do you want to sing a few Latin stories and they say yes and we just try to as a community i think that we need to stay together so we can be stronger yeah i love that story it's funny because i always when i talk to young people entering theater especially actors i say just work do anything you can go to every audition do any reading because you just don't know what's going to come out of that a lot of people think if you don't get the part oh that it didn't work out but such a great example of she didn't get the part, but it turned into something else, something wonderful. And people do remember people from auditions. They may not be exactly right for that one show, but I know I've sat in, in many auditions and remembered, oh, that guy was so great. Yeah, he wasn't right for this show, but we should remember him for something else. So yeah, what a wonderful story. And I love that you're reaching out to people also that you haven't met and welcoming them into the familia as well. <laughs> I'm going to tell you a quick story about one person that I met back when I was in NM. I went to school to NYU. I got a full tuition scholarship to come to NYU to do a master program. That was the only reason why I came to New York City, because I didn't have the money to come to New York City or to pay a school, blah, blah, blah. So I was doing my master program in musical theory writing at NYU, and I used to work in the office. And one day, this is back in 2007, 2008, I found in my desk a name and an email, and that email was Alex Lacamores. So it, it was an email I can use to talk with him through some kind of chat. So I asked him to a chat, and we start talking. And I asked him one day, oh, you know, I, I'm starting this musical theater writing program. I'm also an orchestrator. Do you think that you can lend me the in the heights full score so I can study the score and go through the songs, blah, blah, blah. And he told me, you know what, Jaime? I can't just give you the score, but what if you come to the theater between shows and you can use my score, sit here in the house and just go to the score? And that's what I did. I went to the Richard Rogers Theater one day between shows. I met him for the first time. We hugged each other. He gave me his full score, the one he used in the pit to conduct the orchestra. <laughs> and I sat in the house with headphones, listening in the heights and reading Alex Lacamore's score. And after that day, Alex Lacamore started recommending me for every single job 
that he wasn't able to do. When they asked him, oh, do you know any Latin uh, composer or Latin orchestrator or someone who can translate a song? He always, he and Lin Manel was, were always passing my name to other people just because I was brave, I would say, <laughs> to use his email that I found somewhere and reach to him, you know? Wow. Wow. First of all, the generosity of Alex and the trust. Exactly, because yes. to hand you the score for a show that is happening and not think that you're going to run off with the score, you know, in the middle of the show. That's incredible. (laughs) Wow. I absolutely love that. But also just a testament to your tenacity and you have to go for it. You have to go for your dreams and go all in. And in the same way that I reached to Alex Lacamoire, I have reached to 100 people and most of them, they never get back. Some people do, some people don't, but I think networking is a very important part of any career, but more in this musical theater business, networking is very important. And I'm trying, you know, like to create that networking and being, you know, always trying to go as a good person for that networking because this world is very small and you never know what one day you are the assistant of the assistant and the other day you are the director so you never know where you're gonna be so you, you need to be good at what you do and be a good human being and that's what i have learned from alex lacamoire and lynn that more that they are geniuses they are one of the best human beings that i know noble very human and i just love their generosity and also what a great lesson what you said about one day you're somebody's third assistant the next day you're the director also be nice to everybody because that assistant could be your boss one day. (laughs) And it's about how we treat each other and treat everybody in the community, uh, not just the high level people. So you've obviously had an incredible career that is exploding right now, I think, with incredible accomplishments, critically acclaimed off-Broadway productions, international tours, When you look back at these experiences, are there any memories that stand out to you? Is there any moment that is very special that you can share with us from your shows or your career? Yeah, I think the most special moments are the one one I just told you, that it's not actually about a show. It's not actually about success, like performing in Paris or performing here or there, but it's more about people. Learning from Alex and being able to collaborate with him in in different shows, I think those are the kind of things that I can take with me forever. Like the other story with Marina, that she came to the audition and then we just became collaborators. That's actually the case with my wife. My wife is and was a, a musical theater performer back in Mexico, and I was a vocal coach, and that's the way that we met each other. And then we started collaborating together and then we fall in love and here we are like years later doing our own projects in this city so i think that's what that i would like to take from all my experiences more than the actual experience or the shows i think the people because at the end the shows are gone but the people stay and so that's why i create this familia because i strongly believe that two most important things doing musical theater are community and collaboration. Without those two, you can't do musical theater and tell stories. So you need to embrace that. You have to, and when I say community, I'm not talking about 
It's not like, oh, this is my community and that's your community. No, it's way beyond that. There's community that they cross each other. Mm-hmm. The key is how to learn to make that those different communities can work together with the same goal and that this community can be an ally for the other community. It's not exclusive community. I think that we need to, uh, more in, 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 in the world, we need to learn that, that yes, we are advocating for whatever, for our immigrant rights, or for diversity, or for equality, but we're not advocating just for ourselves. We're advocating for many people like us from other communities that we need to more than fight one community against other. It's more about working together. Yeah trying to look what's the best for my community at the same time that what is the best for the other community. Yeah, I think that's something that we are, as a theater community, examining now, how lifting up one community lifts up all of us. Does it do that? I look at representation of Latinos on Broadway and I'm very disappointed by the numbers, especially because we're in New York City where we're 26, 27% of the population but we're only 3% of the Broadway roles. That doesn't seem right to me. And I don't even want to talk about the non-stage roles or the writer-composer roles. And it seems like there's something off there. So I love the idea that somebody helped you and that you are reaching out to other people and we're all trying to pull each other up and trying to have some representation and a voice in this art form that we love. Two things about representation. I can't believe how many musicals they're supposed to be set in New York City. I mean, that you know that musical is happening in New York City. If you walk around New York City, you can see all kinds of people. So why a musical that is set in New York City, when you're looking at that musical in a theater, there's not that all kinds of people on stage. If it's supposed to be happening in New York City, for example. Uh, and another thing that I think that diversity needs to come mainly from the top. And I mean from the stories and from the people trying to put those stories on stage. If we don't have more diverse writers, if we don't have more diverse producers, it's going to be hard to see like a diverse cast or diverse stories on Broadway. So I think that we as writers, we have a huge responsibility now taking ownership of our stories because for a long time, other people have been telling our stories, good or bad, it doesn't matter. I mean, I'm really grateful that other people want to tell our stories. And I love those shows. I love West Side Story and I know people have issues with it, but that's all we had for a long time. So shows like that, that people remember and now, but we need to tell our own stories. I agree with you 100%. Yeah, but that was the 50s. During the yeah. 50s, I mean, <laughs> it was another, it was different, you know. Now, yeah. if there's a writer wanting to write a show like West Side Story, and there's no like Latin composers or writers involved, there's something wrong there. Th- these are different times. I love those shows as well. Exactly. Especially because we know so many now. We know there's Latin composers. Maybe in the 50s, you could pretend that there weren't. And maybe they weren't as prominent. But now there's no way that there's Latin composers, there's Asian composers, there's Black composers. They're out there. So I think you're right. I think now if you wrote that show and did not have a creative team that was diverse and Latin, you're just being willfully ignorant and willfully ignoring of 
the talent that's out there. I want to ask you about Children of Salt because Maurizio talked about it and he got me very interested in that project. So can you talk a little bit about that project, how that came about, what it's about and how you're developing it? That musical was actually my thesis back in 2009 at NYU. During my program at NYU, the second year, it was a, a two years master program. The second year we were writing a full musical. And we have two options. We could write an original musical or we could write an adaptation. In musical theater, like I think 80% of the shows are adaptations because it's easier and safer to go with stories that I already craft in some way. So I remember when they asked us for an adaptation, a title to adapt, back in Mexico, in Monterrey, I have seen this play called Los Niños de Sal. I saw the play, I think, in, in, in the year in, like in 1999 or 2000, something like that. I saw the show, and eight years later, when they asked us for a show to adapt, that was one of the first titles that came to my mind because I remember that I fall in love with that show. It was so poetic and different. This was a, a play that won, they have won like a very important awards in Mexico, like a dramaturgy awards in Mexico. It's by a Mexican playwright named Hernan Galindo. So I contacted the playwright and he allowed me, we signed all the paper blah, blah, and he allowed me and my partner to do an adaptation of his play. That is something weird because for a Mexican writer that someone in New York asks you for your play to turn it into something else is weird because they are not used to that. For example, in Mexico, when you do a show, the few original musicals or the few plays that they exist, there's not a workshop process. You write a show and the show is done. It's not like here. That's why in New York City is in the state is a, a show business because you are really thinking in the in the product the whole time, trying to make it better and better and better. So I asked him at the beginning, he was a little bit hesitating because we were changing things and the musical it wasn't exactly like his play, but he was very generous all the time and very open. And we presented the show at NYU as a reading in 2009. Actually, we presented the show the Cinco de Mayo of 2009, May 5th, NYU hired Broadway performers, a Broadway director, music director, and we did a reading. That was like the first time that we see that show. And then we kept rewriting the show and trying to find more opportunities, blah, blah, blah. And uh, we applied for Nymph a few times and we never made it. And it was till 2016 that they actually picked the show. I mean... The first reading was 2009. It was in 2016 that we were selected to be part of the New York Musical Festival. And that was the show that I invited Mauricio to come to New York City because we actually did together. I directed him back in Mexico in last five years, a Spanish version. He was Jamie in, in my version of last five years in Monterrey. And then we became very close. And when I was putting the show together, he just felt right for the character. And I just called him and I told him, do you want to come to New York City to be part of the show? I'm the lead character, blah, blah, blah. And he said, yeah, let's do it. He came to the show. He stayed in my apartment. My wife was pregnant. My wife was also in the show and she was performing on stage and she was eight months pregnant. Oh, my goodness. And they actually have a scene together. My wife and Mauricio, they have a scene together. I mean, we are really family. We have been yeah. like 
collaborating on stage and off stage for a long, long time. And we have many, many experiences, good and bad, as a family. Thanks to that show, I mean, I don't want to say thanks to that show because Mauricio is amazing. And if he's wearing that show, I'm sure that he is gonna, he could even find another way yeah. to get he's, to Broadway. He's an incredible but some talent. people, yeah, some people saw him in that show and then they start making him offers to do other shows, to do Evita in a regional theater. And one thing took to the other one. And then he was coming to audition for Your Feet many, many times. It wasn't just the first, I mean, it's not like he auditioned and he got in like right away. He was coming uh, like, I think almost for a year, like back and forth. He was staying at our place. I remember that he was doing concerts in Mexico one night. The concert was done at midnight and he was taking the flight at 6 a.m. to come to New York City to an audition. He was doing the audition and then going back to film a TV show. I mean, he it was just <laughs> crazy. And finally, he got in, in On Your Feet because he's an amazing musical theater performer, an amazing human being. And I'm just glad that in some way, this little show that was part of this musical theater festival helped someone like Mauricio that it was his destiny to yeah. be on Broadway, you know? It was just his destiny, and that's why it happened. And yeah, and we have been collaborating and just pushing each other. I think that's something that families, families need to do, like push each other, trying to raise the other one to be better and to find better opportunities. And I'm so glad that Mauricio, I have many other people in my life that we are just rooting each other and trying to make a name by ourselves and also as a community in this industry. Well, I'm a big fan of his and of yours. I haven't seen you live. I've only watched YouTube, but I love your music. So I'm really looking forward to your show. Ha sido un placer tenerte en el programa hoy. It's been a pleasure having you here today. We're really looking forward to your show. Thank you, Jaime. Muchas gracias. The pleasure is mine, Ella, and I hope to see you there at the concert. For everybody listening at home, you can see Jaime Lozano and the Familia celebrando the Hispanic Heritage Month on September 23rd at 9.45 p.m. Tickets are available at 54below.com. You've been listening to the Fine Science 54 Below podcast, part of the Broadway Podcast Network. Subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.